0: Over the past few weeks, we have been in a series called That's a Great Question. And a couple of weeks ago, Brendan looked at the question, why is the church always asking for money? And today I follow up a bit from Brendan and I look at the question, where does all the money go? What happens to that money that the church receives? Your money. That's a fair enough question. Where does it all go? But before we talk charts and graphs, facts and figures, I want to spend a few moments in the introduction to look at a topic that relates to this, but is really way more than just about money. So I'm going to ask if you would pray with me. Father, it is good to be here. I believe that you are here in our midst, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear you and to be aware of you. Lord, there's um, lots going on in lots of people's lives, and uh, we want to just pause for a moment. We want to just acknowledge that you are great, that you love us, and that you only want the best for us. So I pray that this morning will be helpful, encouraging, and challenging, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Psalm 24, verse 1, the psalmist says these words, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. John Ortberg tells a story he came across many years ago that he found in a reader's digest. The story went like this A lady was waiting at an airport for a connecting flight to her home. She had some time to kill, so she went to the airport lounge and she bought a newspaper. And she also found her favourite pack of biscuits, so she bought that as well. And then she sat down in the airport lounge at a table and she began reading her newspaper. Gradually, she became aware of a rustling noise from behind her paper. She was flabbergasted to see a neatly dressed older man helping herself to her packet of biscuits. Not wanting to make a scene, but wanting to clearly communicate her displeasure, she glared at him and then she leaned over and she took one of the biscuits herself. A minute or two passed and then came more rustling. She couldn't believe it. He was helping herself to another one of her biscuits. So again, she gave him a very stern look and she grabbed another biscuit herself. This happened again and again until they were down to the last biscuit, which the man proceeded to break into and push half towards her. (laughs) And then he smiled and he left. She couldn't believe the audacity of this man. She was furious but still did not want to make a scene. But if looks could kill, he was gone. Shortly after, her flight was announced. She stood up folded her newspaper, and opened her handbag to get her ticket. To her great surprise, there she found her pack of unopened biscuits. (laughs) Not only had he not been eating her biscuits, but she'd been helping herself to his biscuits. Realising whose biscuits they really are changes everything. Realising who owns the biscuits really changes everything. And all of us need to hear again the words of the psalmist. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, God says to the people of Israel, his people. You may say to yourself, your power and the strength of my, sorry, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Remember the Lord your God, for he is the one The background to those verses is that God is reminding the people of Israel how he had led them for 40 years in the wilderness. And during that time, they always had water, food and clothing to wear. And now God was about to bring them into a land of great riches and bounty. And he did not want them to become arrogant and forget him and what they had because of him. The temptation God's people can fall into is to believe that all we have is a result of our own power and our own strength. But God reminds his people, all you have and where you are is because of the Lord your God. One of the fundamental principles of biblical stewardship is to acknowledge that God owns everything. And we are simply the managers and administrators acting on his behalf. Bill Peel, in his book, What God Does When Men Lead, states that while the first principle of stewardship is ownership, the second principle of stewardship is responsibility. He writes these words, Although God gives us all things richly to enjoy, nothing is ours. Nothing really belongs to us. God owns everything. We're responsible for how we treat it, And what we do with it, and while we complain about our rights here on earth, the Bible constantly asks, what about your responsibilities? Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. A steward is one who manages the possessions of another. We are all stewards of the resources, the abilities, and the opportunities that God has entrusted to our care. And one day, each of us will be called to give an account of how we've managed what the Master has given us. We are called as God's stewards to manage that which belongs to God. And while God has graciously entrusted us with the care, development and enjoyment of everything He owns as His stewards, we are responsible for managing His holdings well and according to his desires and purposes. We are responsible to manage his holdings well, and according to his desires and purposes. This deal about stewardship applies to God's people, each individual, and on a larger scale, each church. As a church, we need to acknowledge that all we have is his, that it all comes to us, from him. It is from him, and we need to, as a church, be very aware of our responsibilities and also our accountability. And we need to strive to manage what we have well according to his desires and purposes. God's desires and purposes. We could spend a whole sermon just talking about that topic what matters to God. I believe that one way to gain some perspective on that is to look at what mattered to Jesus by looking at what he spoke about a lot. What did he teach about a lot? In the book of Mark, it says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. (laughs) Matthew records that after Jesus' time of testing. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease among the people. The idea of God's kingdom was central to Jesus' teaching. In the book of Matthew alone, it is mentioned 50 times. Throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, again and again we read, The kingdom is near, your kingdom come. This is what the kingdom of God is like. You are not far from the kingdom. Jesus announced strongly and clearly and repeatedly that there is a domain called the kingdom of God. And this kingdom is the range of God's effective will. It is wherever God's will is being done. It is where what happens meets with God's approval. Everything is as God would want it to be where people treat each other with kindness and mercy, where the greatest humble themselves, where every encounter causes people to walk away from that with more joy. It is as in heaven type living. Jesus came and said that this kingdom exists right now. And he invited people to step into that kingdom, to be part of the kingdom now. It was about the establishment of God's rule in the hearts and lives of people. And this was good news, really good news. He declared that the kingdom of God has now, through him, become available to anyone who would choose him. We are called to live in God's kingdom now. It is about recognizing that it is already here. And importantly, we are called to share that good news with those around us because that good news has implications for now and for eternity. That news is life-altering. That news is life-saving news. It is good news. It is the news that Jesus died for. Jesus' good news wasn't all about where we go when we die. Jesus' good news wasn't about a transaction with God that will get us into heaven. It was about living in God's kingdom now and forever. I love this quote from uh, John Altberg's book, Eternity is Now in Session. He says this, somewhere along the way, the power and the promise of the gospel has been lost. We've shrunk it down by making it purely about going to heaven when we die. And in so doing, we've shrunk God down. We've often preached a gospel that does not naturally call for knowing God, a gospel that does not naturally call for disciples. But what if we stop thinking about the gospel as simply the minimum entry requirements for getting into heaven? What if we stop thinking about eternal life as something we only experience when we die, after we die? What if we stop thinking of Christians as people who know about God and instead focused on becoming disciples who are learning to know God? What if salvation isn't mostly about getting us into heaven but getting heaven into us? Jesus told us to bring God uh, to ask God to bring heaven your kingdom your will down to my office, my neighborhood. My small group, my family, and it starts with me. God's desire and purpose is to see His kingdom come, to see His kingdom expand, that no one should miss the opportunity to step into that kingdom through Jesus. And I want to say to you that as a church, we need to be good stewards of what is His. It's His. And we need to strive to manage that well according to his desires and his purposes. So, let me talk to you a little bit about where the money goes. This slide, this graph that's been prepared, shows the expenses we have as a church. This is where the money goes. And you will see the blue is staff costs. Our staff, our current staff expenses, account for 59% of all expenses. These staff costs include casual staff who contribute to facility higher income. Our staff costs, we believe, are appropriate for the overall expenditure. Our priority always should be and will be ministry to people. And we need people in order to minister to people. I need to say that Churches of Christ Queensland recommend ministry staff ratio of one staff member to 100 persons who are ministered to. And there was a survey that was done by the Leadership Network and the Van Bowden Group, and it noted that average star attendance to staff ratio is 76 to 1. For every 76 people, churches should have the equivalent of one staff member. Those numbers account for all staff, including pastors, assistants, facility staff and others. Each week, a conservative estimate is that Humeridge is ministering to approximately 1,500 people. Humeridge has 11.25 full-time equivalent staff. Emily got me that figure. If we were to use the Churches of Christ Queensland recommendation, they would be recommending more. So our church comes in under as far as staff to the number of people we minister to. I want to say to you right up front that our staff costs are significant, but it is a reflection of the fact that we are wanting to minister to people, those who are already in the kingdom, and those who are already or are hopefully on the way. There's a bloke called Tim Stevens. He served as the executive pastor at Willow Creek for about 20 years. And he stated that he believed that Willow Creek, which was just an amazing church, it's gone through some hard times in recent times, but there's no doubt the, the ministry they had and the impact they had. He stated that they were most effective... When their staffing costs were between 55 and 60% of their total budget. So, we want you to understand that what we're trying to do is to be careful, to be wise. We are taking advice and we are seeking to do things carefully. The next slide that comes up on the screen just simply so shows some of the ministry expenses of our church. And I want to be right up front and say that missions is a significant expenditure for our church. We spend a lot of money in the area of missions. And here is a list of some of those mission organisations and projects that we've supported in the last year. And this slide should come up. I'll read it. Oh, no, here it goes. In the last year, we were very heavily involved in supporting the Afghani community in Toowoomba. During the crisis that was occurring in Afghanistan, we're involved in CAP school chaplains in a number of schools. We support that. We support the business chaplain. Cocoa is another area where we support. Gandep Compassion, Gandep Bible College, ICCM, ICCM General. We support uh, MAF, University Impact, RI in schools, Uganda, the Rock Hill Church. Plus, there are other minor missions that we support when there is a need that is, uh, we, are, we are shown. If you go back to that previous slide, you'll see that the other major big expenditure when it comes to missions is in youth. And there is no question that there is a major expenditure by this church, a major investment when it comes to the area of youth. But I want you to understand that the, the majority of that expenditure uh, is expended in two weekends... Youth camp is a major expense. It is a massive expense. And leadership camp is also a massive expense. Youth camp, we took over 250 young people on a camp to the Sunshine Coast. Worthwhile, significant impact. But our buses alone to get the kids there, and there is no other way to do it. We do not let leaders drive kids to the coast. That just doesn't happen. Our bus cost to get the kids up and back safely was $11,000. Those costs are incurred in order for us to do ministry in the area of youth. The youth budget includes homework help, the youth group, which has two programs on a Friday night, Sunday morning Bible study, girls' retreat weekend, leadership camp, youth camp, schoolyard blitz, leadership training and the leaders' spiritual retreat day. This next slide gives you an indication of some of the other expenses. And I think that's coming up now. And we'll go through this in detail in the Q&A if you would like. But you'll see that in the the blue, the largest section, is our Above and Beyond offering. And that is a major expense uh, because of the generosity of this church. And we are able to, through our Above and Beyond offering, refit downstairs... Uh, After 26 years of hard use, it's time for some work to be done down there. But we also supported University Impact, MAF, and we've just made sure that some money is set aside to take care of some bus costs. The other big cost is just in the uh, opposite corner, and that's our insurance bills. In order to ensure what happens around here, it is a major expense. But I also want to just say very honestly... That we seek to be careful <clears throat> and make sure that what we're spending as a church is necessary, and we try hard to make sure that it lines up with God's desire and purpose to see His kingdom come and His kingdom expanded. I want to announce that as of last week, we have paid off our loan completely. We no longer owe any debt on this building. That's exciting. It's a result of the generosity of God's people. And it's also the result of careful, wise planning of many people over the years. Many people have sought to be careful and wise in how that was handled. And while we need to celebrate it, and it needs to be celebrated, I need to just flag the fact that um, we want to continue ministering effectively in this place. And so we're going to have to invest in some significant maintenance in the future, in the near future. After the service, Emily and I and one of the elders will be available in the loft, not in the um, chapel, but in the loft to answer any questions in detail, to go through anyone's uh, questions and, and to talk figures, to talk whatever it is that you'd like to know. We want to be open and honest. We want to be transparent about His money. We want to be open and transparent about how his money is spent. Because everything is his. And we will be accountable to him. Finally, I heard this story this past week. It was told by John Ortberg in a sermon on stewardship. He said this. He spoke about a holiday... that he and his family took several years ago when they visited Massachusetts. And they went to a little museum on Nantucket Island, and the slide will come up. It was the shipwreck and life-saving museum, and it is devoted to an organisation that was formed over 300 years ago. In those days, travel by sea was extremely dangerous, and given storms in the Atlantic and the real rocky coasts of Massachusetts, Many, many lives were lost, really close to the shoreline. And a group of people who lived on that island couldn't stand to think about all these people going down so close to them. So they went into the life-saving business. They banded together to form what was originally called the Humane Society. They built these little huts that dotted the shores. These little huts containing boats and rescue uh, equipment. They were sometimes called huts of refuge. And people were posted in those huts all the time. And their job was just to keep watching the sea. And any time a ship went down, the word would go out. The people there devoted everything. They would risk themselves to save every life they could. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, someone was watching. Everyone was willing. They did it for no money. They did it for no recognition. They did it because they prized human life. They even adopted this motto, and I love this motto. The motto of the Humane Society was, you have to go out, but you don't have to come back. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. It's a catchy little recruiting slogan, isn't it? Don't think it would work today. You have to go out. You have to be committed if someone needs your help to go out. But you don't have to come back. Understand the risk. Understand what's at stake. You wouldn't think that that would entice a whole lot of people to sign up. But it did. People kept joining up because they understood what was at stake. They understood that this was about saving lives. This was about keeping people safe. John Altberg state, stated it was fascinating to read the accounts in that museum of people who risked everything, even their lives to save other people they had never met, faces they'd never seen, names they would never know. Over the years, though, things changed. And what would become the US Coast Guard started to take over a lot of their tasks. And for a little while, the Coast Guard and the Humane Society worked side by side. Eventually, the idea carried the day that they would let the professionals do it. They're better trained and they get paid for it. So volunteers stopped manning the huts. They stopped scouring the coastline for sinking ships. They stopped sending out teams to rescue people. But they couldn't bring themselves to disband. And that life-saving society, the humane society, still exists today. It meets once in a while in Boston or someplace in New England to have dinners. And they hand out awards for things like community service. They enjoy each other's company. They sponsor programs. They get together. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. Fortberg goes on and says this: It happens all the time. It doesn't happen in a day. It doesn't happen in a month. But over time, a church forgets that it's in the life-saving business. It usually doesn't disband, at least not until much later. People still meet. They still enjoy each other's company. They still use words like community. They have services and buildings and staff and programs. They might even get involved in the community. They're just not sending anyone out anymore to save lives. They're not scouring neighbourhoods and offices, schools and networks in cities to see if there's anyone who needs them, needs to be saved. They forget maybe that Jesus put this rescue mission, his rescue mission, in the hands of volunteers who he hoped, who he hoped would love the people that God loves so much. These churches have buildings and budgets and staff and they have meetings. They're just not in the life-saving business anymore. It can happen to a church. It can happen to a small group. And don't think it can't happen to your church. And don't think it can't happen to you. On a personal note, this year has not quite gone to plan for me. COVID stuff meant that things have been postponed, delayed. And this year, we've faced some hurtful criticism. And the plans for transitioning some of what I used to do and what I'm still doing have been delayed through no one's fault. This year has not been the way I envisaged. But Last week, stumpies and youth groups were back on. We were back in action. And I was there doing what I've done for a long time. Friday night, there were lots of young people in the place, over 250 between both programs. Way more than we expected for a first night back, and there was lots of energy, lots of noise. And at the end of the older program, one of the grade 12 girls approached me. She doesn't have any background in any church. But because I'd talked in the program about our 5pm prayer service, she asked me some questions about what happens in that prayer service. And then she simply said, okay, I think I'll come, I'll give it a try. And then she just walked off. And then another grade 12 student, a young lady who's been part of youth for quite a few years, but has just a little bit of church background, came and said that she really wanted to make a time to catch up with me because she's been thinking about baptism. She's been thinking about baptism and talking about it with some of her friends and so she'd like to talk about baptism and she'd like to bring some of her friends with her so we can do a talk on baptism. And it hit me that this is what it's about. This is what we have to be about. This is what we cannot lose and not invest in. We're here so they and many others like them get to hear about this God and his kingdom. This is the business we're in. The last few days have not been easy for our family. Jenny's not here this morning. In the early hours of this morning, her dad, Bruce Armstrong, passed away in New Milo. Family have been with him over the past two days as he moved from being in God's kingdom here on earth to being with his king in heaven. Yesterday I went with some of our children to say our goodbyes and I watched my kids say goodbye to their grandfather and then my oldest son prayed for his grandfather. And in those moments it became crystal clear why this life-saving deal is so important. We're sad, but there is hope. Hope that this is not the end. Just a transitioning from this dimension to the next. Just a transition from pain and struggle to no more suffering and no more death. Bruce is now with the one who gave his life for him. That's the hope. And that's what this is all about. That's what this is all about. And we cannot lose that. I want to say to the church, we cannot afford to lose sight of of who really owns the biscuits. We cannot lose sight of who really owns the biscuits on an individual level and as a church. And we cannot lose sight of his desire and purpose for his church. The resources of this church are far more than any amount of money. They are you. They are your abilities and opportunities. But they do include your money. And they must always be focused on equipping, encouraging and employing us for the mission that God has given us. I want to say as I conclude that over the last uh, 12 months I have been so encouraged by the generosity of this church and people are seeking to really take careful consideration of their responsibilities when it comes to their giving in order for ministry to continue to happen in this place and beyond and we are very grateful for that i want to say that we would always be open to any questions you might have about how the money is spent it's his money and we want to take that responsibility seriously and do our very best So if you have questions, please join Emily and I uh, in the loft after the service. Today, the free barbecue is on. So I'm just going to pray and then I want to say a couple of words and then we'll be led in another song. Father God, we come humbly to you. Sometimes we get it wrong. We think what we've got is ours. And we think we got it because of our own strength and power, our own talents and abilities. Help us to remember that you own everything. It's all yours. And help us to be careful how we steward. Help us to think about what matters to you. Help us to understand, Lord, our part and our responsibilities in the mission that you've given your church for. Lord, we... um, Come as a church, and I want to pray uh, just for you. I just want to pray for you to bring comfort to those who grieve this morning, for Iris particularly. But also I also want to pray, Lord, that um, just giving thanks for Bruce's life, and we pray this in Jesus' name.